really cool project called the Mayfly Project, and it's using his passion for fly fishing um, to show Jesus' love to kiddos in the foster care system um, in an amazing way. They get to be outside with him and others, and so he's going to tell us a little bit more about what that looks like. What does it look like to disciple people in that way, using a passion that he already has? Um, but before he comes up and before he and I talk about um, more about the Mayfly Project, we're going to watch a really short video. In any given day, there are 415,000 children in foster care. 42% of foster children will be convicted of a crime. One out of every five foster children will become homeless after the age of 18. Every year, 23,000 kids will age out of the foster care system and will be without support and on their own. Fly fishing is a sport that has had a history of healing properties. So whether it being you know, dealing with PTSD or dealing with anxiety, uh, there's actual proof that the sound of running water will calm anxiety and relieve stress. And so a lot of our kids are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and RADS and all kinds of different issues. Fly fishing, um, being out on the water, being in touch with nature, feeling the water, hearing the water, Everything about that is calming. And when you get a kid in the middle of a river, some special things happen. Oh, Pat, thank you so much for being here today with us to share your passion and also your passion for fly fishing, but also more importantly, your passion for discipling others and sharing Jesus' love. Uh, I'm going to ask you our first question, um, and then you can take that where you want. Um, can you tell us how you first became interested in the Mayfly Project? So I've been a, um, a fisher person my, pretty as, as long as I can remember. I think it was five years old I started fishing. It was kind of, um, you know, cane poles, right, progressing to spin fishing. And then about 20 years ago, I got into fly fishing. And then my um, the passion, or some people might call addiction, <laughs> took another level. And it was um, running water. It was streams, uh, tricking, you know, fish into biting a fly that was fake. Um, the whole process just... Um, just sucked me in. And so um, for a long time, I'd always thought, well, you know, God, we have passions. God has plans for those passions. And mine was, well, I meet God on the, on the stream, but what else, right? There's got to be something else out there. Um, and then one day I was reading a fly fishing magazine, of course, because that's what I read a lot. And there was an article about the, the Mayfly Project, and uh, it spoke to me. And so I was like, I, I reached out to, to Jess. You saw him in the video. There's another uh, leader, co-leader, uh, Caitlin Barnhart, and um, went through a long process of interviews, um, background screens, and, um, and then I was named the first leader of the Wisconsin, the first Wisconsin chapter of Mayfly Project. And so um, we're starting up in 2023, but really kind of the feedback I've gotten more recently is if I've got a team, um, we, we, I've talked to a caseworker, there's kids that... Um, would be good candidates to be in the program. So, so um, you know, that's, we're ready to go once the team is fully created. We've got two and myself, so we've got three guys on the team right now as mentors, so. 
That's awesome. I'm so excited about that. Um, I don't fly fish. I've tried. <laughs> um, but it is a very, it's so, it is very peaceful, like they were saying, um, just to be out in nature. What is your vision for this locally? Um, you talked about like kind of getting the team and there's some good candidates for the project. Tell us a little bit more, more about that. Sure, I think um, it's, it's interesting because I, I told um, people, you know, that I've talked to about this project, if it's supposed to be, it's, it's going to be God, right? So I'm not going to run anything. Um, but my, my vision is that I hope we can um, mentor, even if, it's, even if it's one or two kids, um, and come alongside them and, and teach them about fly fishing and, um, and have that chance to spend that time with them. I think hopefully um, two of the guys that I know that are on the team, great, great guys. Um, one I know goes to this church, Dave Gerhardt's is on the team. So, so I, I think the vision is gonna be even if we have one, one child that we can come alongside. And uh, I, I know there's more than that. There's a need that's beyond that. So um, the first year is um, you know five sessions. And uh, during those sessions, they learn how to cast, they learn how to tie knots, they learn how to tie flies. Um, and then the last event is a fishing trip. And so on that trip, um, we take them fishing and they get all, they get a fly rod, they get waders, they get all the gear to start um, fly fishing, which is cool. And it's all donated by companies like Orvis, um, three, four, there's just a, a Cortland, there's tons of companies that have supported this, so. So one of the things that we talk about sometimes at Calbrook is that the fact that God can answer things beyond what we could ask or imagine. So as you envision what this project could look like here in West Bend and Washington County, what, what are those things like maybe that we could, God could answer for this project? Well, I, I think nothing is beyond what God can, can do. So, so I think it's, the sky's the limit, but I think even, like I said, if, if, if uh, one child learns something about fly fishing, but, but really more important than that um, is mentored through this process. And it, like I said, fly fishing is, is the core reason for it, but I think um, ultimately you've got some great um, leaders around these, these kids. And, um, you know, I think it's an opportunity uh, also for us to disciple not just the kids, but each other, right, through this process, because we're going to learn some things. So, so that's my hope. That is really exciting. I'm excited to see what God does with that. Um, so I mentioned I am not a fly fisherman or woman. Um, I've been around it. I am not connected to the foster care system. So tell us who would be a good fit if they're interested and they're hearing you and they're thinking, hey, that sounds really cool. I fly fish or I love the outdoors or um, like what kind of person would be a good fit for that? And then if someone wants to get connected, how do they do that? So, so uh, a really good candidate is anyone that's got a heart for foster kids, really, or, or just kids in general. Um, if you've got an outdoors background, that's great, but that's not necessary. So, so if you, um, these meetings could be like two, three hours long, right? So we start off with lunch maybe or dinner, um, play games, have icebreakers. And then the smaller portion is probably teaching the, the individual class. So if, if you know, you're someone that's like, hey, I want to be a mentor, but I, I'll handle just the food, awesome. You know, so, so where these projects are successful is when many people are doing different things. The leader, myself, can't be the one doing it all, as, as we all know in leadership roles. So it, if your heart's for it, I mean, the, the biggest process is going through the background screen, um, the interviews. They, they really vet people out, but um, I, I'm sure no one in this audience would, would not be a fit. So I, I, 
I encourage you, if you've got um, that on your heart, to, to do it. And then how do you, how do you connect? Well, I put some um, cards on the back, on the welcome table. Um, they have my contact information, they have Jess, and they have Kate's contact information. But really, um, my phone number, my email, reach out to me, and, and we can, I can kind of get you moving through the system, and um, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really cool. Thank you so much for sharing your heart for that, and also just the way that you want to disciple um, kids, and also, like, be a team with other people who love Jesus together. That's amazing. Thanks for being here today. All right, would you guys pray with me? Father, you are a good creator. At the beginning of time, you created things, and you said it is good, and you are well pleased with your creation. Um, but we are a people who are prone to strain, and this world is not something that we would necessarily say it is good all of the time. But we know, Father, that that doesn't change you or your purposes. We know that you are good. Um, so we thank you that you do not change, that you are constant, um, and that you have, you, Jesus came and everything is redeemed already, but not yet. And so we look to you with hope um, for full redemption of the world. Um, we thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us that hope. We thank you, Father, for Brad and Sarah who are serving in Central Asia, and they've been serving there faithfully for 25 years. Uh, we thank you that Sarah is back in the country for the first time in two years um, because of COVID restrictions. She wasn't able to be back. And so we just praise you even for that small thing of being able to go back to the ministry that she's poured her heart and soul into. Um, we ask that as she's strengthening and encouraging believers who have suffered under COVID and are living in a hostile environment, that you would fill her up, Father, that your spirit would be an undeniable presence in her life, um, and that you would give her exactly what she needs at the time that she needs it so that many would come um, to know the hope that is in Christ. We ask that they would have wisdom and strength as they reach out to their Muslim friends. Um, Father, the context that they live in can be so hard and so discouraging. And so we ask that you would give them daily encouragement. Um, we know through your power that you can do this and that you are working and that you have equipped them for the calling they've received from you. Father, we also ask that you would... Um, just do a mighty work through the Mayfly Project. Father, we thank you for people like Pat who said yes, um, who are using their gifts and talents and interests um, for your kingdom, Father. Um, would you lay on the hearts of those who should be involved in that project? Would you help them to say yes? Um, would you allow the project to be successful and so that children who are in the foster care system would get a chance to um, experience a rich program, but also more importantly, that they would get to experience Jesus um, through the opportunity of fly fishing, Father. Um, and if that's not on the hearts of people here, Father, would you show them today um, or in the future what ways they can use their interests and giftings um, for your kingdom. Father, you've given us all passions. 
You've given us all skills and things that we're really good at. Um, so would you help us to use those things to glorify you um, and to make your name great um, in the lives of those around us, Father? We thank you that um, we don't do this alone or we don't do this for our own glory, Father. We do this because you are glorious and you are amazing and we want others to know how glorious and amazing you are. We want them to know the hope that we have in you. And so we thank you, Father. We ask that you would be here, that you, through your words, um, through the message today, that we would be encouraged and challenged um, and that we would continue to live lives um, that honor you, Father. And if there are those who are here and they're questioning what does this look like, would they be encouraged too by being in this community? Um, and maybe just have a seed planted, Father. We ask that you're here now. We know that you're present. Um, we love you, God. Amen. Yeah, if we have to wait <clears throat> until we have all of our stuff figured out before we can disciple anyone, how many people will we be discipling? Nobody. Because we're not ready. We're not going to ever have it figured out. No, everybody right? be ready. And the enemy knows that, right? So that's one of his biggest strategies. Get us mm -hmm. to have confidence in ourselves, not in God. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 12. It talks about my grace mm -hmm. is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So I'll boast all the more about my weakness, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Mm -hmm. And man, if we can, you've talked about humility, being humble in ourselves and strong in Jesus. If we can just, man, be like, yeah, I'm weak, but God, okay, take a weak man, a weak woman, a weak whoever, and, and use us. Because if we're available, if we're faithful, if we're available, if we're teachable, man, he, he loves to take weak people and because that makes him famous. It shows it's about him, not about us. We're all at different points, and I think something that I heard a while back that was really freeing for me is May might be more mature in one way than I am, mm -hmm. and Matt might be more mature in Christ in another way than I am, and I might be more mature in one way than Ed is. And it, it's kind of like, but we tend to think of it like this or that, right? That wasn't. <laughs> That was not personal. You disagree. Okay, that's that was not personal. You're definitely more mature than me, for sure. <laughs> not in every way. And yet I met with him and I said, man, the way you love and cherish your wife mm. is inspiring to me. So we do want to grow in knowledge, but we don't have to have that knowledge to start out. Because I guarantee that even if what we have is our story, that's more than someone else has mm -hmm. who doesn't follow Jesus. And I think one of the reasons this barrier is tough is because we forget who we're actually calling people to. We're not calling people to us. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, <clears throat> For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. He, he's like, I'm, well, I'm not preaching myself. We're not preaching about ourselves. You're preaching about Jesus. And John the Baptist said, I must become less. Jesus must become greater. And if we take those things, whether we, we're not going to have it all together, we can go in knowing, but saying, hey, I'm not inviting someone to say, hey, you know what you should do is you should come hang out with me because I'm amazing. That's, that's ridiculous because I'm not amazing. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> would you be willing to hang out with me as we both maybe come to better understand how amazing Jesus is? Because he's amazing. And I'm still learning how amazing he is. But there's a big difference 
in calling people to follow Jesus than trying to call people and say, I'm amazing and I know this and you need to follow me. Um, Jesus is the one who said, follow me. Good morning, family. My name is Troy. I want to welcome you here this morning. I want to begin with a story and put you in a time and a place. It was a fairly small town, large enough where a crowd could be gathered if a crowd was needed, but also small enough where there wasn't a lot of local law enforcement. Tim had grown up there, and he had a good childhood, raised by his mom and dad and his grandmother. His mom and dad didn't always agree on everything, but at the end of the day, Tim grew to be well-respected, and everyone spoke highly of him. But growing up, Tim always felt bad for this one other guy in town. His name was Jason. And as long as Tim could remember, Jason could never walk. He was born with a disability in his feet, and all his life he had been immobile. Tim took it for granted when he could literally hop out of bed every morning, and he didn't think too much about it until he saw he would run into Jason. And when he did, he would feel guilty about things he could not control, which was the difference between the two of them. Now, thankfully, Jason never was looking for a pity party. He accepted his lot in life fairly well, all things considered. He actually even seemed to be hopeful in spite of his incapacities. But one day, a strange turn of events would actually change both of their lives. Tim was eating lunch when a friend of his bust through the door. There was a, a commotion that happened at the middle of town. And he said, hey, we need to go check it out. And so Tim pushed back from the table, got up, and ran out the door down the main street with his friend. And as he turned the corner, he was surprised to see how many people had already gathered at the center of town. But what struck him most, what caused his jaw to drop and him to wonder if he actually could believe what he was seeing was at the center of the crowd was Jason. And Jason was not only standing, but he was walking around. Something had happened. He had missed something, something big. He wasn't sure what he had missed, but he could tell you this. This was Jason, and here he was walking. And so Tim and his friend on the outskirts of the crowd start to ask, what happened? There was an older woman who was on the outskirts and the perimeter with him. And she said, here's what happened. Apparently there was a man who had been traveling through the town, and he had stopped to really tell his story. And as he was telling the story, he looked at Jason and said, stand up. And Jason stood up. And everyone in the center of town who was there was trying to get their minds wrapped around what had just happened. In fact, the officials of the city started proclaiming and praising this man. They actually brought gifts for this man. And Tim watched as he was very surprised by the response of this man to these gifts and this praise. He said, hey, no. He started shouting. Everybody, no, 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 no. I, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. But the crowds kept insisting that this was him. Then out of nowhere, Tim, as he's watching this, feels an arm grab him on behind the shoulder and pull him back. A man had come through. He was from a, a local town nearby. He was actually a Jewish man and had a, a group of Jewish men that had come with him. And he pulled Timothy out of the way, and they began to make their way towards the center of this crowd. And the, the commotion that had been going on in the crowd hushed 
as they reached the center. And what this man began to do was not praise this other man who had told the man to stand up, but to hurl accusations at him. Began to accuse, accuse, accuse. And not only did he start hurling accusations, but somewhere, from somewhere, a stone actually came out of nowhere, it seemed like to Tim, and hit this man in the head. And he went down to his knees. And then from somewhere else, another stone came, and another stone came, and another stone came. And Tim was just watching this, saying how, to himself, how in the world did this happen? What just happened where in the midst of just like a, a blink of an eye, this entire crowd went from praising this man to murdering him. It was horrifying on a number of different levels. And what was almost most horrifying was to see Jason on the outskirts of the crowd standing but in tears with a look of horror and on his own face. But at what seemed like a very short period of time, the crowd that was there who had gathered began to slowly disperse and go home. And what was left in the middle of the crowd was a crumpled pile of a man, bloodied and lifeless. And the men who had grabbed his shoulder went and pulled and dragged this man by his legs to the outskirts of town and left him there. Now, there were a couple of friends of this man who had gotten around him, and Tim had followed at a distance to watch this thing play out. And what he saw next was almost as miraculous as what he saw at the beginning was this man who looked very dead, got up, began to wipe blood from his face and his wounds. His friends were who had been just mourning and grieving were now rejoicing. And then he saw something he will never forget. The man who had gotten up now from this dusted himself off and began to walk back into town. Tim would never forget that. Because on that day, he had no idea that that man he was watching do that would become like a father to him and would model what it looks like to courageously follow Jesus. Okay, now, took a little bit of liberty, a little bit of license there in what is Acts chapter 14. The reason I did that is because I don't think it's that much of a stretch of an imagination to believe that this would have been the first time that Timothy actually saw Paul, the apostle. We learn just a few chapters later from Acts chapter 14 that Timothy was from Lystra. This is where all this happened in Lystra, his hometown. And we know also that shortly after that, Paul took Timothy under his wing as his own disciple. And Timothy learned what it looked like to follow Jesus, not only from what Paul said, but how he lived it out. Family, as Lise mentioned this morning, we are in this series called Breaking the Discipleship Barrier. If we want to be a family of followers of Jesus who help others follow Jesus or help make disciples, we need to address barriers that get in the way. And there are lots of them. We've been processing through them for the last five or so weeks. This morning, I want to talk through another barrier with you. And that barrier is this. It's a lack of modeling. It's a lack of modeling. See, family, we can't make disciples ourselves if we haven't seen this ourselves, if we haven't seen someone model it for us, and if we, who are followers of Jesus, are not modeling it for others as well. It's going to be a barrier for us to live out our mission. And so to process through this, we're actually going to hear from the Apostle Paul as he writes in his final and most personal letter. You want to guess what it's called? Timothy, 2 Timothy. 
Okay? He writes it from prison. He writes it to Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy in a number of different ways. One of the ways is he's saying, Timothy, I'm encouraging you to come to me because I'm dying. This is close to the end. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 is on page 843 in the Brown Bibles under your chairs. I'm going to have the scriptures on the screen for you, but if you know me, I'd much rather prefer you grab a Bible out from underneath the chair, open up to 843 and follow along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, there, there's a big idea with this idea of lack of modeling. I'm going to borrow it and adopt it from Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker is one of the best known and most, most widely influential thinkers in, in business management theory. And Peter Drucker said this. He said, there is no success without a successor. Can you say that with me? There is no success without a successor. I believe that that's probably true in business management theory, but it's also true in discipleship. And it's something I want to come back to a number of times this morning. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Why don't you stand with me as we read God's word? I'm going to pray. We're going to be in verses 10 through 17. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is breathed by you. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Father, more than anything that I would say, what we are about to read, may this sink down in our hearts and may you use it by your spirit to do these very things that you promise you will. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. All right, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Here's what we have. Verse 10. You, however, know... So, so, sorry, just to set the context here, Paul was encouraging Timothy. There's some false teachers in early chapter 3 he's talking about. He's like, you're going to know because the way their life is lived out is reflective of, it's, you're going to smell it. You're going to sense it. Their lives are not going to reflect the gospel. And, he's, and he goes, and he contrasts it with Timothy here. He goes, you, however, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's Word. You can have a seat. So, Amazing scripture here, very encouraging. Before we dive into this, I want to give you just a minute or two to process this yourself. So what I'm going to have you do is, Joe's got another slide here for you. Uh, the next one has the question at the bottom. I want you just to reread this, and I want you to ask a question. What had Paul modeled to Timothy? What had Paul modeled to Timothy? I want you to just take a couple minutes, turn and talk to someone near you about that question. What had Paul modeled to Timothy? And then we'll come back, I'll come back up, and then we'll dive into it together.
What had Paul modeled to Timothy? Help me out. What do you see? What had Paul modeled to Timothy? True faith. Yep. What else? Trust. Okay. Patience. It's almost like there's a list. What about, what after patience, Becky? What would you say? Maybe love or endurance? Fair enough. Sing it. Anything else that you see? What else is Paul modeling to Timothy? Endurance. Humility. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on here. What, what Paul had modeled to Timothy was a life lived for Jesus Christ. So let's dig into this a little bit together. Chapter 3, verse 10. It starts with the word you. I'm going to start there. Ready? We're going to go word for word. Just kidding. I just want to look at the word you, though. Okay? The word you, because it, I want to talk about this relationship that Paul and Timothy had together. It wasn't just that of a teacher and a student. It wasn't just that even of a mentor or a mentee. He says you. And if you were to look at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, his first letter, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this in chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true, what did it say? My son in the faith. And in in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he comes back to it and says it again. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. And then if you if you open to the beginning of 2 Timothy, we find the same thing. To Timothy, my dear son. Now, if you know, you know, you know, Paul wasn't married, he didn't have kids. And yet here's how he's referring to Timothy. This is the relationship that they have. He's saying, you are a son to me. You are like a son. And those of you who are parents and are are blessed with children understand the significance of that relationship, what it looks like to have children and have that relationship. You see, Paul wasn't just imparting knowledge to Timothy. Paul was sharing his life with Timothy. He was modeling the Christian walk. And so we look at this list. Here's the list that we have this next slide. Here's what Paul is modeling to Timothy. Not just his teaching or content of the teaching, but his conduct, his way of life, his purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Like he's seen, Paul's like, Timothy, you see me do all this. You see me live all this out. I think one of the problems that we have in the church at times is we're guilty of this. This next slide is what we actually see as the list of what we need to do as a disciple. We just need to know the teaching. This is not the list that Paul gives of what he's trying to model. He's trying to model this next slide. This. All these things. And why does Paul's list look like this? Why does Paul's list look like this? Because that's Jesus' list too. This is what Jesus modeled when he walked this earth. He modeled all these things. And Paul met the risen and resurrected Jesus Christ. He, and, he, and he did the same things. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends his disciples out to do these crazy things, right? Remember in chapters 8 and 9, what did we find? We found that Jesus had done those things himself. He had modeled those for his disciples. He wasn't asking his disciples to do anything he hadn't modeled for them. And so we found that to be the case. One very legitimate barrier to discipleship I've seen over the years is a lack of modeling. Maybe you've heard people talk about Jesus. You're like, yeah, I know Jesus like died for my sins, but the idea of actually walk, walking with or watching someone 
live out their faith in the day-to-day has been something that you have not had a chance to really observe or see close up. It's a barrier, but it's a barrier that we can overcome. Family, modeling is absolutely critical. It's so important. I want to give you just a silly example of this. Uh, This takes you back a few years. You might recognize some of these folks. That's a long time ago. Um, So... You know, if, if I want to teach my sons how to mow the lawn, what I could do is I could get them, get them the instruction manual for the lawnmower. I could say, here you go, read through that. Okay? And it would not be a bad idea to do that. should do that, actually. I could also process through the lawnmower manual with my sons and say, you know, help alleviate their fears of running over their toes, etc. Things like that. I think you got another picture, another uh, different one here. Okay, so we're just, I don't know. But, but, but what I do is we do it. And they watch. This happened. I, I just started mowing the lawn. Isaac goes and gets it. Now, he did, what he didn't model is shoes. Okay, like you should always wear shoes. Okay, I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, just, I didn't know he was doing it right away. And now I have, I have, I have a lot of help mowing the lawn now. The girls do it, and they're modeling it for the boys. Boys aren't big enough to quite push it yet anyway. What is Paul modeling for Timothy? He's modeling the teaching of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, what he has read and known throughout his whole life, the word of God. He's he's affirming and confirming all that is true about the scriptures and the gospel, but he's also living it out in front of Timothy. And Timothy had front row seats to the reality that Paul didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. And so Timothy saw Paul's, for example, we, one of the things was purpose. I just was looking at, um, at this. Paul wrote in the church to Colossae. I don't have this on a slide, Joe. He said, my purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's like, here's my purpose, that you would know the amazing riches and treasures of Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. That's why he's doing it. And I could go through every single one of those things on Paul's list. I don't have time to do it. But I do want to extrapolate a little bit on this idea of his sufferings and his persecutions because he expands on it in verse 11. He basically is like, you know what I went through in Antioch and in Iconium and Lystra. Now, Paul could have easily referred to Acts 16, in Ephesus, in Rome, in Philippi. Like he could have... Timothy saw Paul get beat up all the time. But he goes all the way back to Lystra. Why? I think, and I think other scholars believe it's because Paul's, he's like, look, you, you saw me get persecuted before you even started following Jesus. Like, you've seen me model this from before you even were following Jesus. That's why I tell this story to, to open it up. Like, I have a pretty good, like, guess that Timothy would have been there to see Paul's stoning in his hometown of Lystra. Um, In fact, I want to read Acts chapter 14, just this slide. This is the story I kind of told at the beginning. Then while in Lystra, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, won the crowd over. There's a big crowd that was praising Paul, calling him God. Okay, Paul's like, no, I'm just a guy. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. That's from Acts 14. Dr. Gordon Fee puts it this way. He said, this is Paul's way of saying, look, you were there in Lystra when I was stoned. You recall that such sufferings were visible to you from before the time you began your Christian walk. So don't bail out now in the, pres- in the midst of this present and coming distress. Paul had not just talked about suffering for Christ. He modeled it. He modeled it. 
Now, if you're still not convinced of how important modeling is, and it's a barrier if we don't have it done, I need you to keep reading with me because in verse 14 we find this. Verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Say this out loud with me. Because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Timothy knew those from whom he had learned it. They had modeled it. He wasn't just talking about himself. Paul's talking about Eunice, which is his mo- Timothy's mom, and Lois, which is his grandma. And they had modeled following Jesus, Timothy's whole life. He's like, you have become convinced of the good news of the gospel, not just because of the truth of it, in and of itself, because you've seen it modeled and lived out. Sometimes I have conversations with with people, and they say, you know what, Troy, I struggle with how Jesus is relevant in my day-to-day life. And I honestly have come to a point in my life where it's actually I have to work hard to empathize with that, because at at this point I can't imagine anything more relevant than Jesus and, and how he speaks into every thought that I have, everything that I say, everything that I do. But I can get where I think I've been there in the past. But what's happened over the last 20 so years of my life is I've seen people model this in very practical ways. I want to give you just a a bunch of random ways I've seen this modeled. These aren't necessarily even scriptural, but they're just how people have lived out their faith. Give you one example. When I was in seminary, a good friend of mine named Ben Falconer, I had to drive from Germantown down to Chicago, and so I'd stay sometimes at his house. And one morning we were driving to seminary, and behind us an ambulance came up. Okay, lights and sirens on, Ben pulls over, and Ben immediately starts praying. Now, I was 27 years old at the time. I had never heard or seen anyone ever do that before. And it seems simple enough, but I'd just never seen it modeled. So he starts praying, and I was intrigued by what he was praying, because he was praying like, you know, you, sometimes when ambulances come by, what do you think? You're like, oh, I don't have time for this. You pull over, you're like, oh, come on, let's go. Right, come on, just be honest. And so instead, Ben's modeling this. He's praying for whoever it is that needs that ambulance because their day has just got horrible. Whoever's in there is having a horrible day and their family. So he starts praying for the person, for the family. And then he starts praying for the EMTs and the emergency responders because they're probably going to experience some trauma. Wherever they're going, they're walking into trauma again. So praying for them. And so now there's not a time that a, a cop goes by with lights and sirens on or an EMT goes by with lights and sirens on that I don't stop and pray. If you're in my car with my kids, they'll just start it right. They'll, they'll beat you to it. My kids will start praying immediately. There hasn't been a time. It said that one time the cop pulled me over for speeding. I wasn't praying for him at that time. But anyway, so that's one, just one silly example. That's, that's not in Scripture. When the ambulance comes by, pray for, you know, no, it's just modeling that. A dear friend of mine who will remain nameless, he's a brilliant doctor. He serves in Chad, Africa. Anyway, you don't know who he is. But anyway, so uh, I got his shoes on. Anyway, uh, we're having a conversation. We're dear friends, and we're talking about our sons. We're talking about Marvel movies because my boys are always like, we've got to watch the newest Marvel movie. Come on, Dad. And so this doctor and I are having conversations, and we're just processing through it. And he said, you know, you know Troy, what I'm concerned about sometimes is just the amount of violence that we allow ourselves to be exposed to. Like, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch Marvel movies. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying we began to process. And he actually shared an article with me that he was processing through that says that if you do the research on it, in the Marvel movies, what's interesting is that the heroes are actually more violent than the villains. 
if you look at the amount of acts of violence that are being done. I'm not saying, again, anything about it. I'm just saying what it was is a modeling of processing at a deeper level for me. Let's really appreciate that. Give you another example. A couple of weeks, we went down to the Cracker Barrel. Did I tell you the story about the Cracker Barrel? Okay, good, because I thought maybe I did. I couldn't remember. We went down to eat uh, as a family. We ate out. We don't do that a lot because my kids are eat like animals. Anyway, um, so we went out to the Cracker Barrel, and we had Grandma Kathy with us in there, and we're, we're about ready to get our food. And Grandma Kathy starts telling us this story about Talia. Talia is one of our sisters of Christ here at Kettlebrook. And she says, you know, when Talia goes out to eat, you know what she does? She always, when the food comes, the waitress or waiter brings it out, and she says, hey, we're about to pray. Is there any way that we can be praying for you as we pray before we eat? I'm like, well, that's cool. Like, I'm a pastor. I should have thought of that. I didn't think of that. So anyway, I thought that was a great way to model. It wasn't even modeled in front of us. And five minutes later, the waitress brings out food, and one of my daughters is like, hey, we're going to pray in like just a second here. Is there any way we can be praying for you? I'm just watching this happen, just modeling. And it was just, it was just the conversation about it. When we were in college, uh, Stephanie and I, we had mentors, Jim and Jackie, dear friends of ours to this day, uh, they kind of mentored us. They were mentoring us in college, and I, I, we learned they had a, not a huge house, but they would invite droves of college students over. And I remember just being like wall-to-wall in there. And what it was a model to me was it doesn't matter how, house, how big your house is, you just fill it with people. You just fill it with people. And we've always done that in our house to the point where our neighbors originally thought we were drug dealers because we had so many people coming in out of our house. Anyway, just things that we saw modeled. David says, David, are you in here? Oh, you're right here. David uh, is our youth pastor. He and his wife, Sally, they don't have a TV in their house. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You know what they have? They have in their living room, they have, like, couches everywhere in a big circle on purpose because they want to model community. They want to model communion. They want to model conversation. And so, parents, I'm just warning you, like, someday your kids may have a house and it may not have a TV in it. And it may be because they've seen it modeled by David and Sally Sizdak. And you might be going, what happened to my child? Pat Michelson's trying to model through using fly fishing to foster kids. If any of you know Mary Gaynor, what Mary Gaynor modeled the last 10 years before she passed away was what it looked like to suffer with grace as she passed from cancer over 10 years. How about this one? Since the very inception of this church family, Mike and Cara have committed us to be on mission globally, okay? I've had front row seats to watch them model this with what they say, and what they do is they lead us into the most unreached and darkest places of the world, and I am committed and will stay committed to that mission and vision because I've seen it modeled. Praise God. I could give you, I just keep going. I could keep going, giving examples of what it looks like. Again, these things aren't necessarily addressed in Scripture. And I also want to make sure you understand that modeling doesn't trump Scripture, okay? Paul addresses them both in verses 16 and 17. He comes back around and he says, the Word of God, God's, Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. He's like saying, look, look at what I've done, Timothy. I've modeled this all to you. And he's like, and don't forget, obviously, the scriptures. You've known them since you were an infant. Keep in them. And so here's what we have, family. We have this amazing combination of the word of God lived out and modeled by others, brothers and sisters of Christ. It's a powerful combination. The word of God being lived out and modeled. That's what we see. Unfortunately, sometimes what happens inside the church is that we will equate discipleship to programming. 
Okay, and I want to talk about this carefully because I don't think programming is wrong, bad, or evil. But sometimes what we can do in programming is we can say content is more important than conduct. Okay, Greg Ogden wrote a book called Transforming Discipleship, and he put it this way. I think I have a slide for this. Here it is. Since individual personal investment, that's what, what I'm calling modeling discipleship, is costly and time-intensive. We're just acknowledging that that is not easy or cheap. It's costly and time-intensive. We have put programs in its place. And Ogden goes through and gives us four kind of issues with, uh, with programming. Let me show you the first one. Programs tend to be information or knowledge-based. In other words, if you know information, it will automatically lead to transformation. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. Second problem is programs are the one preparing for the many. What we're doing right now is part of that. I've spent about 12 to 15 hours this week studying this scripture, so I, I can, I, I've learned a ton this week. And I'm hoping that now in this 30-minute block, you'll be able to learn some too, but it's 30 minutes versus my 15, 12 hours, okay? One of the reasons why I have other people preach and speak is so they actually are given the opportunity to engage in that, okay? Programs are the one preparing for the many. Number three, programs are characterized by regimentation and synchronization. What, what that means is that programs are primarily kind of like one-size-fits-all. I know most of your stories in this room, and I know that one size does not fit all. It just doesn't. Okay? It's, it's what we in our culture would say, this is the efficient way to do it, is you just jam people into a program and hope they turn out the other side. Number four, programs generally have low personal accountability, right? You learn the information and you walk away. And I added one, this was my own, number five, programs aren't usually messy. And here's what I mean by that. You go to a class or a program, you don't like it, you leave. You fill out a survey that says that was dumb. You're in a mentoring relationship, a discipleship relationship, and someone rubs you the wrong way. You have to actually engage with that. You have to engage in relationship. And you know what? Discipleship is a lot about relationship because our faith is actually entirely about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Now again, please don't hear me in saying that programs are evil, bad, or wrong. I've been blessed by being a part of different programs. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that when we evaluate programs, they have got to be effective in doing that, which is making a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And what we see Paul doing with Timothy is he's saying this. He's saying, here's what I want you to know. You are my dear, beloved, true son in the faith. There is a lot in that statement. He has acted like a father to Timothy. And Timothy, he was, in, he was entrusted, then he says, the things you've heard from me entrust to capable others who will then entrust to others. Pour yourselves into the lives of other people. And Paul did this because he lived out what Christ had modeled to the rich and the poor, to the young and the old, to the important and influential and the meek. Christ did that. So, application. Well, how do we apply this? Uh, you might be in a different, like coming at this from different perspectives based on kind of where you are with your faith. So I'll give you three different kind of ways to apply this, kind of two and a half. If you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, maybe that's because you've never actually seen anyone live that out. And so what I challenge you to do is if you're kind of like, oh, I come because someone tells me to come, I would encourage you to say, who is that person in your life that you have seen that's different? Different enough where you're like, there's something about their faith that caused me to pause 
that causes me to pause. And here's what I ask you to do. Invite them out for coffee and ask them their story. That's all. Just see, maybe say, hey, can you spend some time with me? I'd like to hear more. And, and, and go underneath them and maybe learn about them. Okay? Because hopefully they're going to live out the truths of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you do follow Jesus and you haven't had the, the, the chance to actually have someone else disciple you or model this for you, um, can you please just ask someone to do that? And if you need help, call me, Steve, Rena. We'll figure it out. Like, we're, we're trying to do that. Okay? This happens when you get people in the Word together and then living it out. Okay? Just had a conversation with uh, a young follower of Christ this week, and we were processing through things like he was talking about listening to different music, or how to, what do we do with Halloween, or um, uh, what do we do when I'm with friends who just totally don't believe in Jesus at all, you know? Like, just great, relevant questions for processing through that I've, I've had to process through as well. A deep concern, though, family, that I have is that we're being discipled more by the world than we are by Christ. And so I need to challenge you, as your pastor, I need to challenge you in this, because it's great that you're here this morning. It's great that we're in the Word of God. Um, I'm hoping that I can model that. I'm hoping that we can model that to one another. But here's what's going to statistically happen. You're going to leave this room. You're going to spend the next week exposing yourself to 17 hours of social media. And most of it's not going to point you to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Okay, so are you being discipled by the Word and someone who's following Jesus, or are you being discipled by your favorite news channel? Now, third group is some of you who are in this room who actually have been, you've, you've seen this model, and, and, and you're like, I don't know, can I model this to somebody else? Yes, please, raise your hand and say, I've, I've done this, I can, yes. But Troy, I don't know enough, we talked about it. Here's the thing, family, you... We are not modeling that people have to follow us. Can, can you tell me who we're trying to point people towards? Okay, can you tell me who we're trying to point people towards? Jesus. Paul himself wrote this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said this. Next slide, Joe. Follow my example as I, Paul, follow the example of Christ. He's like, the only, like anything good that you see in me, it's not Christ. It's, it's not me. It's Christ in me. The hope of glory, okay? He's like, follow my example only as I follow the example of Christ. Because we're not trying to make followers of ourselves. We're trying to make followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? And let me tell you this. I am very confident when I say I promise that you will grow when you model this for somebody else. I promise you that you'll grow. You will grow in your understanding of the word of God. You'll grow in your understanding of living out your faith uh, because you'll be doing it. And someone will be doing it with you. There is no success without a. There's no success without a, without a successor, and it's true in discipleship as well. So, family, who is in your life that models following Jesus? Who can you learn from their way of life, their purpose, their faith, their patience and love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings? And if you are following Jesus, who are you modeling this to? in a way that's convincing because they know you, the one whom they've learned it from. So I'd like to give you some time. I'm going to pray here. I'd like to give you some time to address two questions in a turn and talk here. Let me pray and have you turn and talk for a couple minutes. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to model this for us. He is the image of the invisible God. Lord, we are so thankful. We are thankful for men like Paul 
who then modeled this and his life was completely transformed. And he planted the seed and lived this out in Timothy, who then entrusted it to others, who entrusted it to others. That's why we're in this room today, because of the generations and the legacy that it was modeling and living out the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to seek out those who would be modeling this for us in our lives and to model it for others for your sake, your kingdom, and your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Take a couple minutes, turn and talk to someone near to you about these questions here. Will you stand and sing with us, please?
How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night And through the darkness Your loving kindness Blew through the shadows
Family, can we go from this place seeking to follow after the model and the example of Jesus Christ and model that to others? Can we do that? Really want to be convinced of this. Can we do this? Yeah. Can we follow after Christ and model it for others? Yes, let's do it. Uh, if you're here this morning, we'd love to bless you with prayer. After the gathering, we have our prayer team up front. We'd love to pray with you. Um, yeah, so let's go forth from this place following after Jesus Christ, pointing others to him, modeling that in the ways that we live out the word, living it out for God's glory. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. God bless. God bless. God bless.